Adam Jakes. What's good, my man? How you been? I've been really good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. So definitely a bit of a, a bit of a rush to get here this morning, but finally everything got on track. Now, black belt in jiu-jitsu, owner of Matt Shark. Yep. Let's start everything from the beginning, man. So to start with, how did you get into BJJ, man? Man, it's actually a super long story, but I'll give you the um, the somewhat condensed version. Okay, okay. Uh, I've done a little bit of research on you, and I sort of know that your dad did judo. And um, how, the, how the hell did you know that? It's just my personality, but um, my dad as well did judo, so I kind of came through that. And my mum did karate, so I had like martial artists for parents. Okay, so it sort of started from there, and then more seriously in my teens. Okay, and then properly competing and like really being on the scene since 2008 in jiu-jitsu where I've just been doing jiu-jitsu but before that I was doing like freestyle karate kickboxing wrestling everything pretty much but, no way. Yeah, but now it's just jiu-jitsu since the last I guess I suppose like 13 14 years been pure jiu-jitsu more or less I still do a little bit of judo but apart from that it's all jiu-jitsu yeah. okay Wait, mm. by any chance then do you actually know my old man no I don't but I listened to a few of the episodes um, uh, before just to suss out like the yeah. cadence I guess right yeah yeah well the thing is with this podcast I always had a soft spot for BJJ guys um, yep. because personally myself uh, my dad is you know black belt and judo and all yep. that and I'd just only been doing BJJ for a year and seven months now yep. so I like to talk well it's because my background is quite similar a little bit similar to yours I did uh, Shotokan karate for four years yep so I sort of understood some various degree, but when I started BJJ, it was like a completely different ball game. And now obviously it's definitely like really, really become a whole massive part of my life. It tends to do that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it does that because for me personally, my background is I, when I was three years old, I lost my hearing to meningitis. So I'm profoundly deaf. And then what actually happened was um, I couldn't, I was forbidden from doing contact sports, but I always wanted to do combat sports yep. because it's, a, it's a, something that I feel like everybody can benefit from. And especially when you can't do it, it probably makes you want to do it way more. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the reason why I like BJJ so much is because when I compete, even though there's the occasional bump to the head, kick to the face, it's all accidental. I can take my cochlears out, not hear anything and still doing it and don't have to worry about That's getting awesome. hit. Yeah. So with it, uh, you've been practicing for, sorry, how many years? Well, I started dabbling in jiu-jitsu. Um, I think I was... Uh, 12 turning 13 so we're on 18 years now um, yeah. but seriously really just doing jiu-jitsu and, and focusing on it would be since 2008 2009 so around there um, when my focus was 100 percent on it yeah. my black belt in 2018 so i've been a black belt for three years now so i'm on my first degree in my black belt yeah. wow wow so mm. the f the next question i'm glad you brought that up as well because uh they say getting the black belt is like the the real the real beginning because so much more comes in from teaching so just tell you it's like what was the exam that you had to go through i just need to turn the aircon on right yeah, now yeah, <laughs> stress it all, man. yeah yeah so basically um we, we did a grading for the black belt but it's more of an accumulation of things sort of leading up to that point so the grading is a bit of a formality obviously you want to perform well during the grading but uh it's really an accumulation of everything you've done up to that point so i feel like you know if you're grading for a black belt you're probably going to pass because you're your instructor probably won't put you in that grading if you're not ready, right? Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, it was a pretty pretty grueling grading, but I actually really enjoy that just from a training perspective. It's a really good comp prep and things like that as well. Mm. Um, and a few of the guys um, that were also in that grading going for brown and um, a couple others going for black, it was just a good like sort of camaraderie as well. Mm. Just a good experience overall. But um, I think for the most part, I got to black belt just by being consistent, um, coaching a lot and competing a lot is yeah. more or less the criteria, yeah. Well, I've, some of the black belts that I've spoken to are, 
they, I, I say to them, what's if you could just give like one small little bit of advice that you would just get help someone to progress as quickly or to show them how good they are. And they all across the board agree with competing yeah. because being in a practice setting to being in a competition setting is two entirely different things. And really it comes to show how much you've learned. I was like, would you agree with something like that? Oh, a thousand percent, man. Like I think there's no better feedback loop than competition. It's, it's, it's a bit of a different story when you're, as you know, you've competed, you know, like when you're competing against someone from your own gym, it's, it's a little bit dialed back from how the anxiety you're going to feel and the things you're going to go through when you're walking across a mat that's not in your gym and you're fighting some guy who's there to beat you. He's not going to give you anything. Yeah. It's going to be a completely different scenario. And that growth that comes from that is what really helps you start to level up. And it shows you what, what, you're actually capable of and what you can do and what you're doing uh, it for lack of a better term it just takes the bullshit out of your game you mm. can't fake your way to winning comps you know what i mean so i think it just fast tracks you because that feedback loop's so direct and so pure you know what i mean the mat doesn't lie it just shows you exactly a reflection of what you've been doing right 100 uh, yeah. and what i was uh when I, and one thing i love about perth is that the amount of competition that is out there and the amount of gyms that's out there like from an outside perspective if you walked into, like, you wouldn't really know much about the amount of gyms that actually do BJJ and compete as well. And then when you actually get involved, there's, like, there's so many. And it's, like, opens up another world. And with competing, the best thing I love about it is that it doesn't matter what level you are, you can do it as well. I had never even knew white belt competitions were a thing because yeah. back in when I was doing karate, you had to be at least, you couldn't be a white belt if yeah. you were going for a, for a competition. You had to be, well, I think, of blue, maybe yellow, depending yep. on the style. But... One thing I'm super happy with is the amount of white belt competitions that come around a year. So it's a good thing for a test. Yeah. Now, when did you first start competing? Were you, or did you like progress to a certain level? Then you realized, hey, let's give it a go. Um, man, it's a little bit murky on when I did my first comp, but um, uh, I've done a bunch of like obviously a bit of, bit of judo earlier on. Then I competed in like some kickboxing and some full contact karate and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the first real like proper jiu-jitsu comps I started doing would have been about 2008. And okay. then, um, around that sort of time, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, how old are you now? I am 33. 33? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you look great for 33, Thank man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, that's that's good because you've got like an extensive background as well. When you started doing BJJ, did any certain techniques from... I, I know judo would be a massive asset as mm. well because considering we both... They both they start standing yeah. up. Uh other than that, was there any like techniques you'd learned over from Muay Thai or kickboxing or karate? Did any of them cross over? Um, yes and no. I mean, probably probably more no. There was a lot of stuff that kind of worked in those settings that Jiu-Jitsu had a better answer for. So it didn't really cross over that well. Mm -hmm. And then even certain judo techniques I learned when I was younger um, didn't apply that well because certain throws, you expose your back or you give away a position, but then you got to just sort of filter out what's not going to be applicable and then find the ones that sort of do. And I had like two or three really good options that worked well and then yeah. probably like heaps that didn't. So just the filtering out of that process sort of helped me uh, find things that kind of worked. But early on, I sort of gravitated towards jujitsu and adding those techniques like early on, adding those answers, yeah. Yeah, because I know there's a whole bunch now when you get involved in it, like guys want to branch out and do different things. So some guys I know they're talking to, they definitely do a lot of freestyle wrestling. Yeah. That helps as well. Yeah. Uh, they do, even Greco-Roman that still helps as well because it's in crossover with the no-gi techniques. Sure. But like, I honestly believe a lot of BJJ guys can benefit from judo. 
Uh, but one thing I realized is, that especially with my dad, is geese, the fucking judo geese yeah, are yeah, fucking yeah. heavy, dude. The old three kilo Mizunos, but different to like the modern jiu-jitsu gi where it's like, you know, yeah. 1.2 kilos. It feels like you're wearing like, I don't know, a giant rug or something. It's the worst. You get hot in seconds. Your grips don't work the same. You get tired. Your forearms burn up. It is very different. And I think I'm obviously, I'm obviously a lot better at jiu-jitsu than I am at judo. So I find when I'm in judo, even when I compete in judo, I'm not as efficient. So my grips just burn out faster because you're just white knuckling because you don't really know when you can relax and when you can't. Whereas mm. in jiu-jitsu, I know like, okay, I'm sweet here. I can just chill and I can recover a bit or whatever. Mm. So I think a lot of it's that too. It's like learning how to adapt to the sport. They're so similar and so different. It's a weird dichotomy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. obviously with all these disciplines, man, and having your own gym at all, which we'll get into in a little bit. Mm. Uh, how do you balance all this sort of stuff? You know, like obviously because like how many times a week do you normally do judo? Uh, once a week. Once it's only a week. once, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how long have you been doing that for? Uh, I actually only came back to judo, it would have been around when COVID kicked off. So there was a bit of a break in there as yeah. well. And then I haven't been back for the last few months either. I've been yeah. focusing on jiu-jitsu because I've got fights coming up and stuff, which obviously got postponed. But yeah. anyway, so um, I'm trying to get back there once a week now. And I do compete. I competed five times in judo last year, so pretty active still considering I'm only training once a week, right? So I mm. try to get out there and do it. So, yeah. And that's that's solid. So, what belt are you right now, Judo? Uh, I'm an orange belt, which is the third belt. Yeah. Ah, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. Well, I mean, a lot of uh, like BJJ guys and Judo, like I tell them, either way, it's kind of gonna work hand in hand yeah. very much. Uh, so for someone who's actually not done or know much about Judo and all that, how does a comp- and obviously you know for someone myself, but how does a competition from Judo different? from a BJJ competition for someone who just doesn't know? There's quite a lot, especially nowadays. The mm. rules are kind of diverging quite a bit. So I think the main things in judo on the feet, there's a lot of grips you can't use. So like certain, if you can't, you can't grab the jacket on the same side. And if you do, you have to throw immediately. There's oh. weird little rules like this. Oh. You can't break a grip with two hands, for example. Just weird stuff you wouldn't think of. It's just, oh. it's just like a free-for-all, right? You do whatever you want. Because I, I didn't think of that because when the first thing you're taught, if someone's got a grip on you, yeah, two hands. Yeah. Okay. And on the floor, obviously, um, in in judo, you can lose to someone who's not that good on the ground if they can just hold you down. You can get pinned. Mm. They can hold you for 15 or 25 seconds, depending on the scoring and that. They can win by pin. So they don't have to really beat you. If they can just hold you for a bit, they can win like that. Um, that's another big consideration. And then just in general on the floor... You might be a jiu-jitsu black belt like myself. I try not to use my jiu-jitsu in judo, by the way. I try to use throws because I'm trying mm. to I'm there to try. To, I'm not trying to win judo comps with a you know jiu-jitsu techniques. But um, I digress. Pretty much, you if you don't get something happening pretty fast, the referee is going to stand you up again. Oh. That's a big difference because yeah. if the guy just covers up and defends in turtle, he can just hang out there for a bit and the ref will stand him up. And that's a very very efficient way to defend, which doesn't work in jiu-jitsu. You turn to your front, it's like catch you later, you know. So exactly things like that you got to think about. It's more strategy than anything else. It's yeah. the same sport with different rules. I try to say, yeah, yeah. I I think that's a valid point. I've been yeah. told that before because when I watch judo competitions, it's slow, and then as soon as someone executes or trying to execute a throw, it is ridiculously fast. It's explosive sport, yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah, like some of these guys, they it's even the little guys as well. They have to be so fluid with the technique yeah. and it's not like you can use force. You yes, have to actually... Yeah. The timing has to be perfect. Um, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, I feel, is a lot more like muscular endurance, whereas like judo is more explosive, sort of ballistic, like, you know, quick movement where you catch someone in the perfect timing. With the with the right timing, you're going to get a nice throw, whereas Jiu-Jitsu is kind of like, you can be slow and grind. You can just find the right 
positions and work your way to where you want to go, you know what I mean? So mm. um, I feel like that's a pretty big difference too is just the way, the pace of it and the way you can control the pace. Judo can really only be done at the high level, I would say sort of one way for mm-hmm. the most part. Whereas Jitsu, you get guys that play all different games like slow or fast or they pass on their feet really quickly or they go on their knees and really slow and heavy or body lock passing or whatever it is. So I think there's a lot more different styles of jiu-jitsu whereas judo is a few different styles a few different particularly in the different countries like there's a georgian style of judo or a japanese style of judo jiu-jitsu is more like in your own gym you've probably got guys that do different stuff you know what i mean they've got you've got that one guy who does this one move and that guy's got a sick loop choke and this guy's got a really good ankle lock you're always going to get that Mm. whereas i think most judo clubs everyone's got the same core throws you know yeah that's a fair point um now based on those sorts of throws and all that nowadays you see with bjj that like we would argue we could argue that nogi is becoming increasingly popular sure. and it's definitely a route for a lot of beginners yeah um funny enough the reason why i say they tell me is because gi is expensive <laughs> they're not cheap so that's why people just prefer nogi yep. if that point now based on your time and maybe the opinions you may have gi or nogi uh has any like judo techniques because judo is entirely gi you know has anything from judo actually crossed over do you believe benefits for someone for a no gi 100 it comes down to your ability to disseminate that information and apply it right so i teach a lot of judo for no gi which is not common and i modify it um to suit a judo person would watch it and think like what are you doing that technique's completely butchered but for jiu-jitsu it works really well if you look at a lot of my students a lot of my competitors uh caleb branson probably one of my better competitors people know of mm-hmm. he uses a lot of overhook and he'll throw for, for haragosh a sweeping throw from there with the overhook so i've just modified it and butchered it to make it sort of fit no gi jiu-jitsu and um, you can see him throw people all day in no gi it's, it's, it's no factor you just got to modify it to suit where it goes wrong is when they try to apply the gi technique directly to no gi without any modification that's where it becomes uh, like a bit of an uphill battle where you're probably better off going in more of a wrestling route, right? But I think um, there's plenty of valid techniques that you can be applied as long as you have the brain to sort of figure that out and the will to sort of apply it, you know what I mean? Oh, mm. I see. That's what that's mm. an interesting point of view. Mm. Now, uh, you have now pretty much been competing for a wide range. Now, just before we started the podcast, you were speaking to me about that you had an event that was run in 2016. Was yep. it Rampage? Rampage, yeah. So yep. let's get let's get into a big yeah. chunk of that because this is new information yeah, for me. Yeah. So tell me, like, in the long version of well, yeah. how did you come up with this idea? All right, so I feel like WA, Perth in general, pretty isolated. We don't, we don't, we're pretty far from the the scene for a lot of things, right? Jitsu is no exception. And for the longest time, there was nothing here that was really of note in terms of professional grappling. Okay. So my plan was to try to make something. Well, more, more or less, I didn't have huge aspirations, but I wanted to try and do something that was going to be important for the community and maybe have some kind of impact. That was kind of my goal at the time. And um, I was able to, just through connections and stuff, able to get some big names across here. Like, um, I don't know how well you know the Jiu-Jitsu scene, but I had like Luke Martin, I had Kit Dale here, I had Lachlan Giles here. I had some T- big, big... few names. of those names, yeah. Yeah, yeah. big names across um, competing in that tournament. And then I leveraged off their social media accounts pretty much. And we had... 160,000 views on the live feed so it went it went really big yeah and that's mostly attributed to Lachlan and Kit's following right just leveraging off that um and it went really well it went went super good um a lot of local competitors as well local guys and um yeah it went super good and and then just through that as well it was a whole experience because it was the first professional grappling event in WA there was no existing precedent for like uh how to run it and then like the combat commission sort of wanted 
clear guidelines on how to do it all. And when I had meetings with them, some of the things that were difficult was like they would set it up for like a boxing card and they couldn't understand that people could be a different weight. It's fine. It's not the biggest issue in the world if they're like a few kilos apart. In boxing, it's a big problem, but it is. so it's not a big issue, right? Yeah. Not as big of an issue. That's um. That's sorry, just backtrack on that. Let's yeah. explain because people will probably be racking their brains. Why is it not an issue? That's yeah. sort of give from your perspective. Good, good point. Boxing, you're getting hit in the head. And like, there's a reason there's weight classes. Pretty much because if the guy's bigger, he's going to be able to generate more impact as a general rule. And in jiu-jitsu, you're using a lot more leverage and technique. And there's going to be times where the person, if they're bigger and you start getting out to like 10, 15 kilos, yeah, it's a big difference. But if you're like, you know, five to 10 kilos difference, the more technical guy's still going to win most of the time, right? So it's a very even playing field. The ground's a great equalizer. Um, whereas in striking, I feel like even in Muay Thai, there's no one that's like a weight class down that's knocking out a bunch of heavy guys. Like it's, it's not really as common, right? Yeah. Usually there's plenty of guys that can be like, a middleweight and win the open division consistently you know so, oh yeah. for sure yeah you meet guys it, even in class you can see like the law guys if he's, if he's a higher belt they got to be so technical exactly they can run around the big guys all day yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so into so what can you tell us more about some of those guidelines that you had to apply by yeah so we were pretty much writing the rule book right and then we had some weird stuff that was just like part of their existing system so um, I, I mean, we're all learning, right? Myself included and them. Like they came in to do a weigh-in, which didn't make sense for an open weight class event. So we had a bunch of guys weighing in, which didn't really mean anything, but things like that. And then eventually it all got sanctioned. It was all sweet. We had to have doctors there, all that kind of stuff. And um, it, the, the event went really well. And um, I can say the commission worked really well with us and they were very accommodating and they, they helped us sort of work towards getting it resolved and set up. But I feel like the best thing out of all that was that that now sets the precedent for other events like Battleground, for example. Yeah, to yeah work which we to, talk about. Of yeah. course, yeah. To work with um, the commission and hopefully come to terms with what they want to sort of do as well. And um, as we go on, I'm hoping these pro events become more more of a mainstay in the scene in WA and we can bring bigger names here and we can we can expose our talent to the rest of the country, you know what I mean? And show what we've got here as well. Well, it's uh, that that is a valid point because how quickly it's growing here as well yeah. um and like average given the year what what is it we have like a good solid amount of competitions it's quite frequent to have them at the ama which yep. you know um was your teacher at a metcalf yep. yeah metcalf's my teacher yeah yep. yeah and then uh not even that but we've got a few sgts that go down in hbf it's like five per year so it's there, a, there lot. We go. Yeah. a lot yeah and so there's a vast amount of competition yep. rather if it was just one organization i yeah. mean the more organizations the better and yep. everybody's in this so one thing one thing i thought was really interesting so if you sort of set the ground obviously now we can move into talking about better ground invitation yep. did the guy who sort of came up with the idea did he ever come to you for any advice or did you did you ever help out and help setting that thing up so funnily enough george who uh, created battleground he actually competed on my first event oh so shout he out was to george a, he was a blue belt on the event so wow. um yeah so i like to think hopefully that inspired him in some way to get battleground going um because I'm, I'm a bit beyond it now to be honest I, i've got them too busy to do other like doing other stuff to try to do these things so i'm glad someone's like keen to actually make it happen and, and george is doing a great job with battleground the last event was like really well done super professional um did you compete on that one no one, one of my students did yeah. oh, okay how yeah. did he go he actually lost but it was a really good match um he was able to pass the guard a few times get on a few different submissions but ultimately he got stuck under mount for the last like couple minutes and then he lost the decision so it's just the way it goes sometimes especially in those sort of formats where it's a referee decision if you're stuck on the bottom for a long period of time you're probably going to lose that decision you know so um just the way it goes but uh he's an awesome competitor and he'll be back like better than ever he's super strong willed and that so yeah 
But um, yeah, I'll, I'll go on this next one myself. Um, but that's been rescheduled, so I'm not too sure when that'll be now. So just trying to stay ready for that, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there was complications that happened with Battleground Law that hopefully it gets kicked off. Mm. But one thing I remember was you were going heavy on your training leading yep, up to it. For so sure. what? Obviously, um, who was meant to be your opponent? Uh, Donizetti Junior. Okay. It's a Damien Meyer black belt, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So what was what was the biggest preparation that you had working for yourself going in towards this uh, matchup? Um, working a lot more muscular endurance and just rolling in general. Mm. Um, picking up the intensity a lot and then just a lot of game plan type stuff as well. Yeah. 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 Nice. Mm. Nice. Solid. So now, you, obviously, you're a pretty busy guy. <laughs> That's one thing we've got to get up. So let's talk about Matchark, man. Yep. So how long has this place been around and all that? Six years. So Six years. Yeah, it's myself and one of my students, Ryan McKay, he's a purple belt under me. Yeah. Um, we both run, run the place. So um, yeah, it's been going for a while now. Um, we started out of Raw Fitness. We started there for a year. Oh, wow. What, the one in Bibber Lake? No, this is way back when. Um, so six years ago, there was only Jandicott, uh, sorry, Coburn and Canningvale. I actually worked for them yeah. in the industry and then... I just like rented their group fitness room more or less through down mats. I was a purple belt at the time, late purple belt, and I'll just start coaching from there. Built it up. After a year, we moved into a new place, like just down the road a little bit, and then yeah, rest is history. It's it's like packed now. It's super busy. Kids' classes are pumping. Adults' classes are pumping. Especially since the new year this year, it's just gone nuts. So um, we are looking to get a bigger space now and working on that at the moment because yeah, it's a bit hectic at the moment with the mat space. So yeah, that's the next step now. Yeah. So how diff- um obviously. Considering the reputation that you have, how difficult is it to sort of set up your own thing? It's tough, man. It's really tough. Um, depending on the model you go with, right? Um, I wrote the business plan for Matt Shuck in 2014, I think it would have been. Um, and it was pretty much a sublease model. Just sublease a space, throw the mats down. And that way you avoid a lot of the pitfalls. Whereas now I'm looking for a bigger space. And the issues that come with that, the biggest issue is council approval. A lot of places that are available, like warehouses and that, they're zoned for industrial use. So you have to get them rezoned as a health club, which means you might need, depending on the council, bike racks. You might need like stairs or anti-slip stuff, oh. or you might need a disabled toilet, or um, who knows, like fire extinguishers. Like there's all kinds of shit you wouldn't think about. They just sort of they throw at you. So um, the council we were dealing with, we were looking at one building, but it was in the Coburn Council, and they're notoriously difficult to deal with. So it was becoming too hard. So we're now looking at different catchments that aren't too far from our existing catchment, but they have a bit more. Um, councils that are a bit easier to work with so i think that's the path now or the best model if you can is try to find a a building that used to be a gym that's already zoned as a gym like an f45 that's closed down or something try to move straight in because then you pay the money get the keys like renting a house that's the move right if you can but um in all honesty it's pretty difficult if you like you don't have that sort of setup so i would suggest anyone that's starting a gym uh sublease to begin with yeah and it's the most profitable because you're paying little very little overheads you know what i mean maybe a couple hundred bucks a week or something and you, you know you're charging the students for what you're, you're providing you can easily charge between you know 30 35 dollars for jiu-jitsu it's it people you know more than happy to pay for that from especially if you're a black belt or a brown belt even mm. so i mean you can make good money from that so if that's your goal that's the that's the way to make money from jiu-jitsu but i think if you want to grow something big you've got to take a financial hit to get a bigger space and pay oh. more rent of course to scale right yeah yeah it's the same with running any business really i mean I've been doing this for a year and eight months now. So we're coming up to two years and yeah. all. Like, I tell people all the time, like, dude, um, the amount of money I've made from this, I can count on one hand. It's yeah. zero. Yep. But at the end again, I always tell people the philosophy behind money is that money's always going to be remade. Money's always going to be a comeback. And the psychology behind it is no matter how 
like how much money you can have you can go from losing it all to gaining everything in the space of a day so i mean why not take the gamble you know because i feel like in the long term now that you've been matt sharks but did you say six years yeah or, yeah, yeah. That's when things can come into fruition and move sure. into a new yeah. place. You've got to give before you get. And it's the same yeah. with what you're doing, right? You're doing a really good job of putting out a lot of content and being consistent. Most people I see do this kind of thing. They go hard for a little bit and they drop off. You never see them again. And because it's tough, man, it's tough to be consistent and to come in here week after week and get it done. It's like your mate, right? He's like, it feels like a chore. Yeah. It's because like it becomes that like, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. It's becoming a burden on my life. Sometimes you just got to push through like you have done. Mm. This is going to be successful long term. I guarantee it because you're consistent and you're, you're dedicated to it. it. It has to succeed at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's five years, 10 years, two years, who knows, you know? Yeah. And you just got to, well, the last thing I just say is, uh, thank you very much, but you just got to love it. That's it, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. Because that helps so much. Yeah. <laughs> because if you don't thoroughly enjoy it, yeah, it is a chore, yeah. what's the fucking point? Exactly, yeah. 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 Uh, um, it's not like every single moment you're going to hundred percent enjoy like, in BJJ, man, like there's yeah, moments where sure. you're like, fuck, man, yeah. you get whacked. But mm. deep down, you know this is what you want. And yeah. it's the same with this, like all these hours, like yep. late at night, fucking hit it. Yep. But you know in the long term it's going to pay off. It will, yeah. And the biggest takeaway I ever learned from this was I personally, for myself, I am sometimes the one who gets jealous because podcasts are so, so – there's so many of them these yeah. days. Everyone's doing these things, especially in this place. Yep. But I tell them, that, and they get such, some of them get too phenomenal. They get such quick growth. They get things nailed mm -hmm. down. And, and then I was, I remember I was, I can't remember, I was talking to a party of mine, I don't know, just having a moment. Like, you know, sometimes I wish it would be bigger. Sometimes I wish it would be better. Yep. And then I think he said something along the lines of, maybe you can check this out, but I think it's slow growth builds confidence, mm. quick growth build ego yeah and then you see these people they get something so quickly and they become so egotistical mm. but then in my life i've never generally met a black belt in martial arts whenever it's maybe a couple, but <laughs> especially in boj who's not very humble who's not very well spoken because they've gone through all those trials and tribulations just to get there Man, it's so hard to get anywhere in jiu-jitsu if you don't have that mindset it's exactly. gonna it's gonna you've either got it or it's gonna give it to you one way or the other you know what i mean yeah yeah so that's the next thing i wanted to bring up because this is such a big question mm. but let's say that these are some little bjj questions in sure. personal um, one thing that racks my head so much these days in martial arts is when things get watered down. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by that, there's certain schools, not BJ, maybe not BJ, but certain martial arts where they have that their black belt in like four years. Yeah, and man. then I think to myself, what? And then they, they went to BJJ. Like, I would, would you agree that the minimum, actually, do you believe there should be a minimum amount of time from which someone can progress between belts. I think it's, I think it's good. I think yeah. in general, minimum age as well. Like I, I hate seeing like eight year old kids in black belts that can't even tie their belt and their mum's tying it for them and stuff. That's so weird to me. But like, I think it's a cultural thing too. Like um, I think the West has done a really good job of watering down a lot of traditional martial arts and making them too accessible because it's marketing, right? They want to make money, especially now where there's a lot, there's more, let's say effective martial arts out. I'm not going to call any styles out, but it's hard to make money in those styles that used to like have a million kids in there. True. Yeah. Now I think like people are disillusioned with it and people of like your era, when you have kids, you're not going to put them in those styles. You're going to put them in wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, something like that, you know? Mm. Um, so I think they're dying off and it's a survival mechanism if they can attract more people and they have more black belts and stuff. But I also think in jiu-jitsu it's becoming a problem as well. I do think it's becoming um, 
not everywhere, but you're starting to see the cracks a little bit of that sort of creeping in. Um, the gyms that are more financially focused, um, uh, belts going out a bit quicker and stuff, and I, I honestly hate to see it. And one thing I love about jiu-jitsu, though, is it gives me a bit of peace of mind. It's like the mat doesn't lie. You're going to get found out. Like, what's the point of being in a rush to be the world's shittest brown belt or something? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 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 So take your time. Like you said, right? Slow growth, man. Like, like as soon as, as soon as you can get out of your brain, I want to be a black belt. Just like be a good white belt, be a good blue belt, be a good purple belt. That's how you get to black belt, mm-hmm. not by fixating on the end goal. And you know, all that's going to happen is if you get that belt somehow under an illegitimate gym or a gym that's accelerated you through. You're just going to get crazy imposter syndrome and like you're not going to want to compete you're not going to want to roll anyone mm. like that's a terrible idea you know what i mean yeah now under your school mm. um you i would say you would you say you have majority of them are white belts white and blue yeah yeah white and blue yeah um what is um if you can nail it down into a few like very very basic things What's the things that you would look for to promote someone to blue belt to blue that? belt yeah yeah um i think the main things been able to beat an unskilled person using jiu-jitsu who's bigger than you. If you can, mm. if you can get someone who walks in, they're 10, 15 kilos heavier and you can run a clinic on them, that's a good sign you understand the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. You can apply it. Another good metric is competition. All of my blue belts so far have competed. There's none that haven't competed, which is not common. Most gyms is 5% competitive rate or whatever it is. Is that like a mandatory no, thing? No, it's not. It's okay. just happened that way, yeah. Mm. It's, I think it does accelerate things because you can really see, oh, this guy's smashing every white belt. He probably should be a blue belt. Let's mm. move him up, you know? Um, Things like that. And then obviously like mental maturity, things like that. And then just that little bit of a release of their ego. They're never going to be like, no one is. No one's completely ego free. But I think like when they start caring so much about getting tapped or tapping so-and-so, it's not Arby Darby night every night. Like if you get tapped, cool, keep rolling, you know. When they start focusing more on like, how do I fix this armor? How do I fix this choke? That's probably the main sort of things. Um, And then time on the mat too. Like guys that have been training like four years and they come in once a week, it's going to be a bit harder for them to grade up. Mm-hmm. You get guys that grade up in like a year and a half because they've been training every damn day, putting the work in, competing in every comp, just absolutely killing it, right? So it's not really like years, it's more like mat time. And I've had people leave my gym from not, for not getting graded. Like, like that would be like, um, oh, when's my blue belt coming up or whatever? It's like, man, I, you get it when you get it. Like, you, I, can't, I can't help you get it any more than you can help yourself get it. You have to get to the level, then you get the belt. And they just go elsewhere and they, they maybe get that belt a bit easier or whatever. But I think that's... Not a very good path to go down. I'd rather overcook than undercook, you know? Yeah, I yeah. think that's oh, that's yeah. well spoken. I mean, I feel like the ones who, because I was reading the other day, like Bluebell is when a lot of people actually stop as sure. well. So, and obviously I'm excited to hear your take on it, but mm. like I felt like because the amount of effort they had to go just to get there, maybe yeah. they didn't value it as much. Yeah. Or what's your take on that point? Two main things, I think, like there's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? They, they the go, du- what, the Kruger? Uh, Dunning-Kruger. Okay. It's kind of like um, you don't know what you don't know. So you go through a little phase of like, oh, I'm getting really good at this. Then you get to Bluebell and you realize the vast value of information that you don't know. Yeah. And that kind of hits you. All the guys in the gym start going hard against you because you're actually a blue belt now. They're not taking it easy. And you realize, oh, wow, actually that brown belt can fuck me up. <laughs> like he's, yeah. he's been playing nice with me, you know? And then just the idea of like, I'm a blue belt, I'm pretty good. And then realizing like how long it's going to take you to even get to purple and how mm. hard that is. The mountain, you, you, you get over one mountain and you get to the foot of the next mountain and you just realize like, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just starting. You know what I mean? Like you said about the black belt. That's the same with the black. Adam Jakes. What's good, my man? How you been? I've been really good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. So definitely a bit of a, a, bit of a rush to get here this morning, but finally everything got on track. Now, black belt in jiu-jitsu. Owner of Matt Shark. Yep. Let's start everything from the beginning, man. So to start with, how did you get into BJJ, man? Man, it's actually a super long story, but I'll give you the um, 
the somewhat condensed version. Okay, okay. Uh, I've done a little bit of research on you, and I sort of know that your dad did judo. And um, how, the, how the hell did you know that? It's just my personality, but um, my dad as well did judo, so I kind of came through that. And my mum did karate, so I had like martial artists for parents. Okay, so it sort of started from there, and then more seriously in my teens. Okay, and then properly competing and like really being on the scene since 2008 in jiu-jitsu where I've just been doing jiu-jitsu but before that I was doing like freestyle karate kickboxing wrestling everything pretty much but, no way. Yeah, but now it's just jiu-jitsu since the last I guess I suppose like 13 14 years been pure jiu-jitsu more or less I still do a little bit of judo but apart from that it's all jiu-jitsu yeah. okay Wait, mm. by any chance then do you actually know my old man no I don't but I listen to a few of the episodes um, uh, before just to suss out like the yeah. cadence I guess right yeah yeah well the thing is with this podcast I always had a soft spot for BJJ guys um, yep. because personally myself uh, my dad is you know black belt and judo and all yep. that and I just only been doing BJJ for a year and seven months now yep. so I like to talk well, it's because my background is quite similar, a little bit similar to yours. I did uh, Shotokan karate for four years. Yep. So I sort of understood some various degree, but when I started BJJ, it was like a completely different ball game. And now, obviously, it's definitely like really, really become a whole massive part of my life. It tends to do that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it does that because for me, personally, my background is uh, when I was three years old, I lost my hearing to meningitis. So I'm profoundly deaf. And then what actually happened was um, I couldn't. I was forbidden from doing contact sports, but I always wanted to do combat sports yep. because it's, a, it's a, something that I feel like everybody can benefit from. And especially when you can't do it, it probably makes you want to do it way more. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the reason why I like BJJ so much is because when I compete, even though there's the occasional bump to the head, kick to the face, it's all accidental. I can take my cochlears out, not hear anything, and still do it and don't have to worry about That's getting awesome. hit. That's awesome, yeah. So with it, uh, you've been practicing for, sorry, how many years? Well, I started dabbling in jiu-jitsu. Um, I think I was uh, 12 turning 13. So we're on 18 years now. Um, yeah. But seriously, really just doing jiu-jitsu and, and focusing on it would be since 2008, 2009. So around there, um, when my focus was 100% on it. Mm. My black belt in 2018. So I've been a black belt for three years now. So I'm on my first degree in my black belt. Yeah. Wow, wow. So... Mm. The, f the next question, I'm glad you brought that up as well, because uh, they say getting the black belt is like the, the real the real beginning because so much more comes in from teaching. So just tell you, it's like, what was the exam that you had to go through? I just need to turn the air con on right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no stress at all, man. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, we, we did a grading for the black belt, but it's more of an accumulation of things sort of leading up to that point. So the grading is a bit of a formality. Obviously, you want to perform well during the grading. But uh, it's really an accumulation of everything you've done up to that point. So I feel like, you know, if you're grading for a black belt, you're probably going to pass because your your instructor probably won't put you in that grading if you're not ready, right? Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, it was a pretty pretty grueling grading, but I actually really enjoy that just from a training perspective. It's really good comp prep and things like that as well. Mm. Um, and a few of the guys um, that were also in that grading going for brown and um, a couple others going for black, it was just a good like sort of camaraderie as well. Mm. Just a good experience overall. But um, I think for the most part, I got to black belt just by... Being consistent, um, coaching a lot and competing a lot is yeah. more or less the criteria, yeah. Well, I've, some of the black belts that I've spoken to, uh, they, I, I say to them, what's if you could just give like one small little bit of advice that you would just get help someone to progress as quickly or to show them how good they are. And they all across the board agree with competing because yeah. being in a practice setting to being in a competition setting is two entirely different things. And really it comes to show how much you've learned 
I was like, would you agree with something like that? Oh, a thousand percent, man. Like, I think there's no better feedback loop than competition. It's, it's, it's a bit of a different story when you're, as you know, you've competed. You know, like when you're competing against someone from your own gym, it's, it's a little bit dialed back from how the anxiety you're going to feel and the things you're going to go through when you're walking across a mat that's not in your gym and you're fighting some guy who's there to beat you. He's not going to give you anything. Yeah. It's going to be a completely different scenario. And that growth that comes from that is what really helps you start to level up. And it shows you what, what you're actually capable of and what you can do and what you're doing. Uh, it, for lack of a better term, it just takes the bullshit out of your game. You yeah. can't fake your way to winning comps, you know what I mean? So I think it just fast tracks you because that feedback loop's so direct and so pure, you know what I mean? The mat doesn't lie. It just shows you exactly a reflection of what you've been doing, right? Uh, 100%. Yeah. And what I was... Uh, what I, and one thing I love about Perth is that the amount of competition that is out there and the amount of gyms that are out there, like, from an outside perspective... If you walked into, like, you wouldn't really know much about the amount of gyms that actually do BJJ and compete as well. And then when you actually get involved, there's, like, there's so many. And it's, like, opens up another world. And with competing, the best thing I love about it is that it doesn't matter what level you are, you can do it as well. I had never even knew white belt competitions were a thing because yeah. back in when I was doing karate, you had to be at least, you couldn't be a white belt if yeah. you were going for a, for a competition. You had to be, well, I think, of blue, maybe yellow, depending yep. on the style. But... One thing I'm super happy with is amount of white belt competitions that come around a year, so it's a good thing for a test. Yeah. Now, when did you first start competing? Were you, or did you like progress to a certain level? Then you realised, hey, let's give it a go. Um, man, it's a little bit murky on when I did my first comp, but um, uh, I've done a bunch of like obviously a bit of, bit of judo earlier on. Then I competed in like some kickboxing and some full contact karate and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the first real like proper jiu-jitsu comps I started doing would have been about 2008. And okay. then, um, around that sort of time, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, how old are you now? I am 33. 33? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you look great for 33, Thank man. Thank man. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, that's that's good because you got like an extensive background as well. When you started doing BJJ, did any certain techniques from... I, I know judo would be a massive asset as mm. well because considering we both... They both they start standing yeah. up... Uh, other than that, was there any like techniques you'd learnt over from Muay Thai or kickboxing or karate? Did any of them cross over? Um, yes and no. I mean, probably probably more no. There was a lot of stuff that kind of worked in those settings that Jiu-Jitsu had a better answer for. So it didn't really cross over that well. Mm -hmm. And then even certain judo techniques I learnt when I was younger um, didn't apply that well because certain throws, you expose your back or you give away a position, but then you got to just sort of filter out what's not going to be applicable and then find the ones that sort of do. And I had like two or three really good options that worked well and then yeah. probably like heaps that didn't. So just the filtering out of that process sort of helped me uh, find things that kind of worked. But early on, I sort of gravitated towards jujitsu and adding those techniques like early on, adding those answers, yeah. Yeah, because I know there's a whole bunch now when you get involved in it, like guys want to branch out and do different things. So some guys that I know they're talking to, they definitely do a lot of freestyle wrestling. Yeah. That helps as well. Yeah. Uh, they do, even Greco-Roman that still helps as well because it's in crossover with the no gi techniques. Sure. But like I honestly believe a lot of BJJ guys can benefit from judo. Uh, but one thing I realized is, that especially with my dad, is geese are fucking judo geese yeah, are yeah, fucking yeah. heavy, dude. The old three kilo Mizunos, but different to like the modern jiu-jitsu gi where it's like you know yeah. 1.2 kilos. It feels like you're wearing like I don't know a giant rug or something. It's the worst. You get hot in seconds, your grips don't work the same, you get tired, your forearms burn up. It is very different. And I think I'm obviously, I'm obviously a lot better at jiu-jitsu than I am at judo. So I find when I'm in judo, even when I compete in judo, I'm not as efficient. So my grips just burn out faster. 
because you're just white knuckling because you don't really know when you can relax and when you can't. Whereas mm. in jiu-jitsu, I know like, okay, I'm sweet here. I can just chill and I can recover a bit or whatever. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's that too. It's like learning how to adapt to the sport. They're so similar and so different. It's a weird dichotomy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. obviously with all these disciplines, man, and having your own gym at all, which we'll get into in a little bit, mm. uh, how do you balance all this sort of stuff? You know, like obviously because like how many times a week do you normally do judo? Uh, once a week. Once it's only a week. Once, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how long have you been doing that for? Uh, I actually only came back to judo, it would have been around when COVID kicked off. So there was a bit of a break in there as mm-hmm. well. And then I haven't been back for the last few months either. I've been mm-hmm. focusing on jiu-jitsu because I've got fights coming up and stuff, which obviously got postponed. But yeah. anyway, so um, I'm trying to get back there once a week now. And I do compete. I competed five times in judo last year. So pretty active still considering I'm only training once a week, right? So I mm-hmm. try to get out there and do it. So, yeah. And that's, that's solid. So what belt are you right now, Judo? Uh, I'm an orange belt, which is the third belt. Yeah. Ah, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. Well, I mean, a lot of, uh, like, BJJ guys and Judo, like, I tell them either way, it's kind of going to work hand in hand yeah. very much. Uh, so for someone who's actually not done or know much about Judo and all that, how does, a comp- and obviously, you know, for someone myself, but how does a competition from Judo different? from a BJJ competition for someone who just doesn't know? There's quite a lot, especially nowadays. The rules mm. are kind of diverging quite a bit. So I think the main things in judo on the feet, there's a lot of grips you can't use. So like certain, if you can't, you can't grab the jacket on the same side. And if you do, you have to throw immediately. There's oh. weird little rules like this. Oh. You can't break a grip with two hands, for example. Just weird stuff you wouldn't think of. It's just, oh. it's just like a free-for-all, right? You do whatever you want. Because I, I didn't think of that because when the first thing you're taught, if someone's got a grip on you, yeah, two hands. Yeah. Okay. And on the floor, obviously, um, in in judo, you can lose to someone who's not that good on the ground. If they can just hold you down, you can get pinned. Mm. They can hold you for 15 or 25 seconds, depending on the scoring and that. They can win by pin. So they don't have to really beat you. If they can just hold you for a bit, they can win like that. Um, that's another big consideration. And then just in general on the floor you might be a jiu-jitsu black belt like myself. I try not to use my jiu-jitsu in judo, by the way. I try to use throws because I'm trying mm. to, I'm there to try to, I'm not trying to win judo comps with a, you know, jiu-jitsu techniques, but um, I digress. Pretty much, you if you don't get something happening pretty fast, the referee's going to stand you up again. Oh. That's a big difference because yeah. if the guy just covers up and defends in turtle, he can just hang out there for a bit and the ref will stand him up. And that's a very, very efficient way to defend, which doesn't work in jiu-jitsu. You turn to your front, it's like, catch you later, you know? So Exactly. Things like that you got to think about. It's more strategy than anything else. It's yeah. the same sport with different rules, I try to say. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a valid point. I've been yeah. told that before because when I watch judo competitions, it's slow. And then as soon as someone executes or trying to execute a throw, it is ridiculously fast. It's explosive sport, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. like some of these guys, they it's even the little guys as well. They have to be so fluid with the technique yeah. and it's not like you can use force. You yes, have to yeah. actually... The timing has to be perfect. Um, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, I feel, is a lot more like muscular endurance, whereas like judo is more explosive, sort of ballistic, like, you know, quick movement where you catch someone in the perfect timing. With the with the right timing, you're going to get a nice throw, whereas Jiu-Jitsu is kind of like, you can be slow and grind. You can just find the right positions and work your way to where you want to go. You know what I mean? So um, I feel like that's a pretty big difference too. It's just the way, the pace of it and the way you can control the pace. Judo can really only be done at the high level, I would say, sort of one way for mm-hmm. the most part. Whereas jiu-jitsu, you get guys that play all different games, like slow or fast, or they pass on their feet really quickly, or they go on their knees and really slow and heavy, or body lock passing or whatever it is. So I think there's a lot more different styles of 
jiu-jitsu whereas judo is a few different styles a few different particularly in the different countries like there's a georgian style yeah, of judo or yeah. a japanese style of judo jiu-jitsu is more like in your own gym you've probably got guys that do different stuff you know what i mean they've got yeah. you've got that one guy who does this one move and that guy's got a sick loop choke and this guy's got a really good ankle like you're, you're always going to get that mm. whereas i think most judo clubs everyone's got the same core throws you know yeah th- that's fair, fair point um now based on those sorts of throws and all that nowadays you see with bjj that like we would argue we could argue that nogi is becoming increasingly popular sure. and it's definitely a route for a lot of beginners yeah um funny enough the reason why i say they tell me is because gi is expensive <laughs> <laughs> they're not cheap so that's why people just prefer nogi yep. if that point now based on your time and maybe the opinions you may have gi or nogi uh has any like judo techniques because judo is entirely gi you know has anything from judo actually crossed over do you believe benefits for someone for a no gi 100 it comes down to your ability to disseminate that information and apply it right so i teach a lot of judo for no gi which is not common and okay. i modify it um to suit a judo person would watch it and think like what are you doing that technique's completely butchered but for jiu-jitsu it works really well if you look at a lot of my students a lot of my competitors uh caleb branson probably one of my better competitors people know of mm-hmm. he uses a lot of overhook and he'll throw for, for haragosh a sweeping throw from there with the overhook so i've just modified it and butchered it to make it sort of fit no gi jiu-jitsu and um, you can see him throw people all day in no gi it's, it's it's no factor you just got to modify it to suit where it goes wrong is when they try to apply the gi technique directly to no gi without any modification that's where it becomes uh, like a bit of an uphill battle where you're probably better off going in more of a wrestling route, right? But I think um, there's plenty of valid techniques that you can be applied as long as you have the brain to sort of figure that out and the will to sort of apply it, you know what I mean? Oh, mm. I see. That's what that's mm. an interesting point of view. Mm. Now, uh, you have now pretty much been competing for a wide range. Now, just before we started the podcast, you were speaking to me about that you had an event that was run in 2016. Was yep. it Rampage? Rampage, yeah. So yep. let's get let's get into a big yeah. chunk of that because this is new information yeah, for me. Yeah. So tell me, like, in the long version of well, yeah. how did you come up with this idea? All right, so I feel like WA, Perth in general, pretty isolated. We don't, we don't, we're pretty far from the the scene for a lot of things, right? Jitsu is no exception. And for the longest time, there was nothing here that was really of note in terms of professional grappling. Okay. So my plan was to try to make something. Well, more more or less, I didn't have huge aspirations, but I wanted to try and do something that was going to be important for the community and maybe have some kind of impact. That was kind of my goal at the time. And um, I was able to, just through connections and stuff, able to get some big names across here. Like, um, I don't know how well you know the jiu-jitsu scene, but I had like Luke Martin, I had Kit Dale here, I had Lachlan Giles here. I had some big... A few of those names, yeah. Yeah, yeah. big names across um, competing in that tournament. And then I leveraged off their social media accounts pretty much. And we had... 160,000 views on the live feed. So wow. it, went, it went really big, yeah. Wow. And that's mostly attributed to Lachlan and Kit's following, right? Just leveraging yeah. off that. Um, yeah. And it went really well. It went went super good. Um, a lot of local competitors as well, local guys. And um, yeah, it went super good. And, and then just through that as well, it was a whole experience because it was the first professional grappling event in WA. There was no existing precedent for like uh, how to run it. And then like the Combat Commission sort of wanted clear guidelines on how to do it all. And when I had meetings with them, some of the things that were difficult was like they would set it up for like a boxing card and they couldn't understand that people could be a different weight. It's fine. It's not the biggest issue in the world if they're like a few kilos apart. In boxing, it's a big problem, but it is. so it's not a big issue, right? Yeah. Not as big of an issue. Let's, um, let's sorry, just backtrack on that. Let's yeah. Ex- explain, because people will probably be racking their brains why it's not an issue. That's yeah. sort of get from your perspective. Good, good point. 
boxing getting hit in the head and like there's a reason there's weight classes pretty much because if the guy's bigger he's going to be able to generate more impact as a general rule and in jiu-jitsu you're using a lot more leverage and technique and there's going to be times where the person if they're bigger and you start getting out to like 10 15 kilos yeah it's a big difference but if you're like you know five to ten kilos difference the more technical guy's still going to win most of the time right mm-hmm. so it's a very even playing field the ground's a great equalizer um whereas in striking i feel like even in muay thai there's no one that's like a weight class down that's knocking out a bunch of heavy guys like it's, it's not really as common right mm-hmm. so yeah. there's plenty of guys that can be like a middleweight and win the open division consistently you know so, oh yeah. for sure yeah you meet guys it, even in class you can see like the law guys if he's, if he's a higher belt they got to be so technical exactly they can run around the big guys all day yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so into so what can you tell us more about some of those guidelines that you had to apply by yeah so we were pretty much writing the rule book right and then we had some weird stuff that was just like part of their existing system so um, I, I mean, we're all learning, right? Myself included and them. Like, they came in to do a weigh-in, which didn't make sense for an open weight class event. So we had a bunch of guys weighing in, which didn't really mean anything, but things like that. And then eventually it all got sanctioned. It was all sweet. We had to have doctors there, all that kind of stuff. And um, it, the, the event went really well. And um, I can say the commission worked really well with us and they were very accommodating and they, they helped us sort of work towards getting it resolved and set up. But I feel like the best thing out of all that was that that now sets the precedent for other events like Battleground, for example. Yeah, to yeah work, to, talk about, of yeah. course, yeah, to work with um, the commission and hopefully come to terms with what they want to sort of do as well. And um, as we go on, I'm hoping these pro events become more more of a mainstay in the scene in WA, and we can bring bigger names here, and we can we can expose our talent to the rest of the country. You know what I mean? And show what we've got here as well. Well, it's uh, that that is a valid point because how quickly it's growing here as well yeah. um and like average given the uh what what is it we have like a good solid amount of competitions it's quite frequent to have them at the AMA, which yep. you know um was your teacher at a metcalf yep. yeah that's awesome. my teacher yeah yep. yeah and then uh not even that but we've got a few sgts that go down in hbf it's like five per year so it's there, a, there lot. Go, yeah. it's a yeah. lot yeah and so there's a vast amount of competition yep. rather if it was just one organization i yeah. mean the more organizations the better and yep. everybody's in this so one thing one thing i thought was really interesting so if you sort of set the ground obviously now we can move into talking about better ground invitation yep. did the uh, guy who sort of came up with the idea did he ever come to you for any advice or did you did you ever help out and help setting that thing up so funnily enough george who uh, created battleground he actually competed on my first event oh so shout he was to george a, he was a blue belt on the event so wow. um yeah so i like to think hopefully that inspired him in some way to get battleground going um because I'm, I'm a bit beyond it now to be honest I, i've got them too busy to do other like doing other stuff to try to do these things so i'm glad someone's like keen to actually make it happen and and george is doing a great job with battleground the last event was like really well done super professional um did you compete on that one no one, one of my students did yeah. oh, okay how yeah. did he go he actually lost but it was a really good match um he was able to pass the guard a few times get on a few different submissions but ultimately he got stuck under mount for the last like couple minutes and then he lost the decision so it's just the way it goes sometimes especially in those sort of formats where it's a referee decision if you're stuck on the bottom for a long period of time you're probably going to lose that decision you know so um just the way it goes but uh he's an awesome competitor and he'll be back like better than ever he's super strong-willed and that so yeah but um yeah i'll, I'll go on this next one myself um but that's been rescheduled so i'm not too sure when that'll be now so just trying to stay ready for that more or less yeah yeah so obviously there was complications that happen with battleground law that hopefully it gets kicked off mm. but one thing i remember was you were going heavy on your training leading yep, up to it so sure. what obviously um who was meant to be your opponent uh donizetti jr 
Okay. It's a Damien Meyer black belt, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So what was what was the biggest preparation that you had working for yourself going in towards this uh, matchup? Um, working a lot more muscular endurance and just rolling in general. Mm. Um, pick up the intensity a lot and then just a lot of game plan type stuff as well. Yeah. 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 Nice. Mm. Nice. Solid. So... Now, you, obviously, you're a pretty busy guy. <laughs> That's one thing we've got to get up. So let's talk about Match Shark, man. Yep. So how long has this place been around and all that? Six years. So Six years. Yeah, it's myself and one of my students, Ryan McKay. He's a purple belt under me. Mm. Um, we both run, run the place. So, um, yeah, it's been going for a while now. Um, we started out of Raw Fitness. We started there for a year. Oh, wow. What, the one in Bibra Lake? No, this is way back when. Um, so six years ago, there was only Jandicott. Oh, sorry, Coburn and Canningvale. I actually worked for them yeah. in the industry. And then I just like rented their group fitness room more or less, threw down mats. I was a purple belt at the time, late purple belt. And I would just start coaching from there, built it up. After a year, we moved into a new place, like just down the road a little bit. And then, yeah, rest is history. It's, it's like packed now. It's super busy. Kids' classes are pumping. Adults' classes are pumping, especially since the new year this year. It's just gone nuts. So um, we are looking to get a bigger space now and working on that at the moment because – yeah, it's a bit hectic at the moment with the mat space. So, yeah, that's the next step now. Yeah, so how diff- um, obviously, considering the reputation that you have, how difficult is it to sort of set up your own thing? It's tough, man. It's really tough, um, depending on the model you go with, right? Um, I wrote the business plan for Matt Shuck in 2014, I think it would have been, um, and it was pretty much a sublease model. Just sublease a space, throw the mats down, and that way you avoid a lot of the pitfalls. Whereas now I'm looking for a bigger space and the issues that come with that, the biggest issue is council approval. A lot of places that are available like warehouses and that, they're zoned for industrial use. So you have to get them rezoned as a health club, which means you might need, depending on the council, bike racks, you might need like stairs or anti-slip stuff, oh. or you might need a disabled toilet or um, who knows, like fire extinguishers. Like there's all kinds of shit you wouldn't think about. They just sort of, they throw at you. So um, the council we were dealing with we were looking at one building, but it was in the Coburn Council and they're notoriously difficult to deal with, so it was becoming too hard. So we're now looking at different catchments that aren't too far from our existing catchment, but they have a bit more um, councils that are a bit easier to work with. So I think that's the path now. Or the best model, if you can, is try to find a, a building that used to be a gym that's already zoned as a gym, like, a, like an F45 that's closed down or something, try yeah. to move straight in. Because then you pay the money, get the keys, like renting a house. That's the move, right, if you can. But um, in all honesty, it's pretty difficult if you like you don't have that sort of setup. So I would suggest anyone that's starting a gym, uh, sublease to begin with. Yeah, and it's the most profitable because you're paying little, very little overheads. You know what I mean? Maybe a couple hundred bucks a week or something, and you you know you're charging the students for what you're, you're providing. You can easily charge between you know thirty thirty five dollars for jiu jitsu. It's it, people you know more than happy to pay for that from especially if you're a black belt or a brown belt even. Mm. So I mean you can make good money from that. So if that's your goal, that's the, that's the way to make money from Jiu-Jitsu. But I think if you want to grow something big, you've got to take a financial hit to get a bigger space and pay oh. more rent, of course, to scale, right? Yeah. yeah. It's the same with running any business, really. I mean, I've been doing this for a year and eight months now, so we're coming up to two years. No, yeah. like, I tell people all the time, like, dude, um, the amount of money I've made from this, I can count on one hand, it's yeah. zero. Yep. But at the end again i always tell people the philosophy behind money is that money's always going to be remade money's always going to be a comeback and the psychology behind it is no matter how like how much money you can have you can go from losing it all to gaining everything in the space of a day so i mean why not take the gamble you know because i feel like in the long term now that you've been match sharks but did you say six years yeah or, yeah, yeah. That's when things can come into fruition and move sure. into a new yeah. place. You've got to give before you get. And it's the same yeah. with what you're doing, right? You're doing a really good job of putting out a lot of content and being consistent. 
most people I see to this kind of thing, they go hard for a little bit and they drop off. You never see them again. And because it's tough, man, it's tough to be consistent and to come in here week after week and get it done. It's like your mate, right? He's like, it feels like a chore. Yeah. It's because like, it becomes that like, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. It's becoming a burden on my life. Sometimes you just got to push through like you have done. Mm. This is going to be successful long-term. I guarantee it because you're consistent and you're, you're dedicated to it. it. It has to succeed at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's, Five years, ten years, two years, who knows, you know? Yeah, and you just got to, well, the last thing I just say is, uh, thank you very much, but you just got to love it. That's it, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck it, because... That helps so much, yeah. <laughs> because if you don't thoroughly enjoy it, yeah, it is a chore, yeah. what's the fucking point? Exactly, yeah, man, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's not like every single moment you're going to 100% enjoy, like, in BJJ, man, like, there's yeah. moments For where sure. you're like, fuck, man, yeah. you get whacked, but... Mm. Deep down, you know this is what you want, and yeah. it's the same with this. Like all these hours, like yep. late at night, fucking hit it. Yep. But you know, in the long term, it's gonna pay off. It will. Yeah. And the biggest takeaway I ever learned from this was, I personally, from myself, I am sometimes the one who gets jealous because podcasts are so so. There's so many of them these yeah. days. Everyone's doing these things, especially in this place. Yeah. But I tell them that, and they get some of them get too phenomenal they get such quick growth they get things nailed mm-hmm. down and and then i was i remember i was sat, i can't remember i was talking to a buddy of mine just having a moment like you know sometimes i wish it'd be bigger sometimes i wish it'd be better yeah and then i think he said something along the lines of maybe you can check this out but i think it's slow growth builds confidence mm. sm- quick growth Build ego yeah and then you see these people they get something so quickly and they become so egotistical mm. but then in my life i've never generally met a black belt in martial arts whenever it's maybe a couple, but mm-hmm. <laughs> especially in bj who's not very humble who's not very well spoken because they've gone through all those trials and tribulations just to get there Man, it's so hard to get anywhere in jiu-jitsu if you don't have that mindset it's exactly. gonna it's gonna you've either got it or it's gonna give it to you one way or the other you know what i mean yeah yeah so that's the next thing i wanted to bring up because this is such a big question mm. but let's say that these are some little bjj questions in sure. personal um, one thing that racks my head so much these days in martial arts is when things get watered down. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by that, there's certain schools, not BJ, maybe not BJ, but certain martial arts where they have like, their black belt in like four years. Yeah, and man. then I think to myself, what? And then they, they went into BJJ. Like, I would, would you agree that the minimum, actually, do you believe there should be a minimum amount of time from which someone can progress between belts. I think it's, I think it's good. I think yeah. in general, minimum age as well. Like I, I hate seeing like eight-year-old kids in black belts that can't even tie their belt and their mum's tying it for them and stuff. It's so weird to me. But like I think it's a cultural thing too. Like um, I think the West has done a really good job of watering down a lot of traditional martial arts and making them too accessible because it's marketing, right? They want to make money, especially now where there's a lot, there's more, let's say, effective martial arts out. I'm not going to call any styles out, but it's hard to make money in those styles that used to like have a million kids in there. True. Now I think like people are disillusioned with it and people of like your era, when you have kids, you're not going to put them in those styles. You're going to put them in wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, something like that, you know? Um, So I think they're dying off and it's a survival mechanism if they can attract more people and they have more black belts and stuff. But I also think in jiu-jitsu, it's becoming a problem as well. I do think it's becoming... um, Not everywhere, but you're starting to see the cracks a little bit of that sort of creeping in. Um... The gyms that are more financially focused, um, uh, belts going out a bit quicker and stuff, and I, I honestly hate to see it. And one thing I love about jiu-jitsu, though, is it gives me a bit of peace of mind. Is like the mat doesn't lie. You're going to get found out. Like, what's the point of being in a rush to be 
the world's shittest brown belt or something. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 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 So take your time. Like you said, right? Slow growth, man. Like, like as soon as, as soon as you can get out of your brain, I want to be a black belt. Just like be a good white belt, be a good blue belt, be a good purple belt. That's how you get to black belt. Mm-hmm. Not by fixating on the end goal. And you know, all that's going to happen is if you get that belt somehow under an illegitimate gym or a gym that's accelerated you through, you're just going to get crazy imposter syndrome and like, you're not going to want to compete. You're not going to want to roll anyone. Mm-hmm. Like that's a terrible idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now under your school, mm-hmm. um, you, I would say, you would you say you have majority of them are white belts? White and blue. Yeah. Yeah. White and blue. Yeah. Um, what is, um, if you can nail it down into a few like very, very basic things, What's the things that you would look for to promote someone to blue belt? To blue that? belt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the main things, being able to beat an unskilled person using jiu-jitsu who's bigger than you. If you can mm. if you can get someone who walks in, they're 10, 15 kilos heavier and you can run a clinic on them, that's a good sign you understand the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu. You can apply it. Another good metric is competition. All of my blue belts so far have competed. There's none that haven't competed, which is not common. Most gyms is 5% competitive rate or whatever it is. Is that like a mandatory thing? No, it's not. It's just happened that way, yeah. Mm. I think it does accelerate things because you can really see, oh, this guy's smashing every white belt. He probably should be a blue belt. Let's Mm. move him up, you know? Um, Things like that. And then obviously like mental maturity, things like that. And then just that little bit of a release of their ego. They're never going to be like, no one is. No one's completely ego free. But I think like when they start caring so much about getting tapped or tapping so-and-so, it's not Abu Dhabi night every night. Like if you get tapped, cool, keep rolling, you know. When they start focusing more on like, how do I fix this arm? How do I fix this choke? So that's probably the main sort of things. Um, and then time on the mat too. Like you know, guys that have been training like four years and they come in once a week, it's going to be a bit harder for them to grade up. Mm-hmm. You get guys that grade up in like a year and a half because they've been training every damn day, putting the work in, competing in every comp, just absolutely killing it, right? So it's not really like years. It's more like mat time. And I've had people leave my gym for not, for not getting graded. Like they, like that would be like... um. Oh, when's my blue belt coming up or whatever? It's like, man, I, you get it when you get it. Like, you, I can't, I can't help you get it any more than you can help yourself get it. You have to get to the level, then you get the belt, and they just go elsewhere and they they maybe get that belt a bit easier or whatever. But I think that's not a very good path to go down. I'd rather overcook than undercook, you know. Yeah, I yeah. think that's oh, that's yeah. well spoken. I mean, I feel like the ones who because I was reading the other day, like blue belt is when a lot of people actually stop as sure. well. So and. Obviously, I'm excited to hear your take on it, but mm. like I felt like because the amount of effort they had to go just to get there, maybe yeah. they didn't value it as much. Yeah. Or what's your take on that point? Two main things I think like there's the Dunning Kruger effect, right? They, they the du- the, what the Kruger? Uh, Dunning Kruger. Okay. It's kind of like um, you don't know what you don't know, so you go through a little phase of like, oh, I'm getting really good at this. Then you get to blue belt and you realize the vast value of information that you don't know, yeah. and that kind of hits you. All the guys in the gym start going hard against you because you're actually a blue belt now. They're not taking it easy. And you realize, oh, wow, actually that brown belt can fuck me up. <laughs> like he's, yeah. he's been playing nice for me, you know. And then just the idea of like, I'm a blue belt, I'm pretty good. And then realizing like how long it's going to take you to even get to purple and how mm. hard that is. The mountain, you, you, you go down one mountain and you get to the foot of the next mountain and you just realize like, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just starting. You know what I mean? Like you said about the black belt. That's the same with the black